but at the end of that, we should also have a, a sense of how much revenue it's worth because we'll know whether people are having this pain and need to solve it. Welcome to All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, the podcast for product managers, product marketers, innovators, entrepreneurs, and anyone who wants to be more effective and more successful creating and selling products and taking them to market. I'm Nels Davis with my colleague, Rob McGordy. In this episode, we're going to try to answer the question, one that I'm sure you've gotten a lot from your executives, how much money will we make from this feature on the roadmap? Rob's going to kick it off. It seems like executives or managers are oftentimes founders and CEOs, people who are in charge of broader pieces than just a particular product, will often go to a PM either in times of decision or in times of struggle Mm -hmm. and sort of ask the question, how much is the roadmap going to be worth or how much is a particular feature going to be worth? Give me some sort of dollar projection that fits with this roadmap. And it's a difficult question and it's one that for the most part, uh, both Niels, you and I have struggled to answer in a good way. I think there's a couple strategies, um, but you know, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it and gut reactions as well as some maybe uh, some edge case options. Right. Well, it's a, it's a question that um, at one point a couple weeks ago, we were you and I were talking about it and then I got some other questions from some other product managers and then I've actually just this week gone through the same experience um, you know, talking about a feature and a roadmap and, and the, the executive says, so how much are you going to spend on this? And we say, oh, you know, it's like $2 million. And they, and the executive says, well, how much money are we going to make? And what's the opportunity cost here? You know, so it's a, it's definitely a common question that we PMs have to deal with. It, it seems to me. And it and follows so, on the, uh, the $10 million a year conversation we had in the last podcast are you maximizing the amount of money that you should be driving as a product manager when you're making these decisions? That's right. That's right. And, and I think it makes sense to sort of expect of the product manager that we have an idea of how much value we're going to generate off of the things we do, right? This particular feature I'm talking about is six to 10 man year effort. You know, that's a pretty big investment to make. Yeah, And I better have some kind of sense of getting six to 10 man years worth of revenue out of it, (laughs) you know, or the amount of revenue that is commensurate with putting six to 10 man months of effort in. That's say it's 30% of my development budget for the whole year. That should suggest based on the discussion we had last time, that means it should be worth 5 million bucks probably in terms of revenue. At least, right? At least. Yeah. Well, and over its lifetime, much more. Over, say, the second year that it's available, it should be worth $5 million of incremental revenue that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Right. So, you know, that's, I think it's incumbent on us to sort of step up to that kind of measurement. The problem that I see, and you can give your feedback on this, is as product managers, we try to be really rational and we try to not say things that we don't know. And one of the things we really don't know is how, how we're going to make money. And it's going to be complicated at any rate, right? There's all these different things that are going to be enabled, all these different sort of sales channels or improvements in sales and things like that because of this new feature. 
And so coming up with that number is a complicated thing. It's hard to sort of stand by it and guarantee it. And I think that's one of the challenges that we as PMs have is we feel like when we say something, we need to be able to guarantee it in some sense. And we probably have to let go of that. Right. And we feel responsible because to a certain extent, we are responsible for the success or the failure of a product. It's very hard to step outside of that and look at it from a consensus building perspective or sort of a um, almost a sales perspective, but one where you're explaining a story, you're providing the insight into what you think the possibility is, and you're getting people on board based on what are realistically wild guesses. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So I think the struggle there is if you admit that and you say, hey, this is totally a wild guess, no one really likes to go forward from that point, right? They just kind of go, that's a dumb response. Find me something reasonable and we can talk about it. Right. Which is where I think we're both at the point of trying to figure out if there's a way to do that. And if there is, it's uh, what the, what the framework would be like. Right. One of the things you can do is you can tie it back to that whole framework of product management, which I have talked about and we've talked about before finding and validating a market problem, creating the solution, taking it to market. And that first step, finding and validating the market problem, that really should include some sense of what the value of solving that problem is. That's what part of the validation is, right? So in this case, we have this idea for a capability in the, in the product, and it's incumbent on us as product managers not to simply have customers come and say, I'd really like it if you did if your product did X, but for us to go out to people and say, oh, well, how are you doing X today? How much effort is it to do X the way you're doing it? Um, are you doing X manually? Are you... Are there errors created because of the way you're doing X? Um, is there some way that you have to report on X that you can't do or you have to, people have to spend a lot of time? And that can help you get some sense of what the actual business value is of solving for X, so to speak. So that was, that was sort of one thing that just sort of popped into my mind about, well, there's some product management practice that we're supposed to be doing that actually directly helps with us being able to answer that question more effectively. Right. So that's maybe one thing. Yeah, definitely. I think the question then also leads to another part of the equation always has to be, are you targeting a user group that you already have access to or one that you aspire to have access to? And what do you think this feature could do for that access? Right. Cause just to say we're having uh this wonderful discussion internally to see if we've positioned ourselves using the right messaging and the right wording to explain the value of our product. And to give a little background, we have a fairly complex product that does uh, a wide variety of things, some of which are very lightweight, some of which are very, very deep. But when you're talking about this to either a marketing person or even to a prospect, in most cases, a sales rep is really only able to say a category of things, right? A particular workflow process or something of the type. The value of of saying, oh, we have 37 different ways to configure this process is very hard to describe when you're comparing it to something that has 15 different ways to configure that same process, right? And those extra 20 ways may be incredibly valuable to a large part of the market. But if you're unable to explain that to them, 
in a way that is quick and easy and makes sense and can almost be part of a an inbound filter question, I would question whether it's even really worth that revenue or whether you're actually looking at just covering a wide variety of use cases to avoid a churn. Right. Right. Well, and I think that's an interesting, that is actually a, another topic that I think would make a really good podcast, that actual issue, right? You've got 37 features or, you know, whatever it is, right? And maybe your competitor has 15 or they have 100. But in any case, you can't talk about that many features, no matter how many, whether it's 15 or 37 or 100. And so how do you help the sales per, the salespeople talk correctly about the product so that it maximizes the chance of making the sale. Right. It's a different, it's a different podcast topic, but you know, one, the key thing is that one, like if you have in your example, you have 37, the competitors have 15. It may be that, that five of those 37 are the things that make the difference that enable the whole thing to work for a whole new segment. Right. And if that's the case, that's a, that's a pretty powerful thing to talk about. And it actually goes to another kind of approach to this that, that I think is is valuable. And that is to really not talk about individual features. But like one of the times that this question comes up is when you're reviewing the roadmap with the executives. And it's particularly difficult to answer the question about a feature. How much is this feature worth? Because typically features are in the service of a business function, but they're not just themselves. They, they don't deliver it just themselves. It's usually a combination of things. And so certainly one thing you can do is start to elevate the discussion with the executives on the roadmap to be about themes. In other words, sort of big chunks of things rather than individual features. And I think this maybe also helps with the 15 features versus 37 features, right? The, the 15 features of the competitor allow them to do a set of simplistic things. Your 37 features features allow your the customers to do a little bit more complex set of things, not 22 more complex things, but like five. And those 22 extra features can each contribute to being able to do one of those five new themes. I'm just guessing Yeah, no, <laughs> to the numbers. That's a good example. Um, I will say, as we've talked before, I'm not sure that in all cases, a question like that could be answered in a way that goes any further away from details, such as, hey, how much is this roadmap worth? Well, you know, let's talk about themes and see what the broad market might respond to it. Uh, mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, I'd guess that a startup or a smaller tech company will be more, much more interested in specific numbers or some sort of mathematical way to make a, a data-driven decision, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you've ever had, and you know, your recent example may be the right way to look at it. Is there a comprehensive way to at least grasp the magnitude of the financial impact of a feature? Mm -hmm. I think there are some things you can know about it. I, t I did a blog post, I guess, late last year that was about the five ways you make more money as a product manager, meaning the five ways you can help your product grow in terms of revenue. And essentially, you can sell more to the same to the same segment. You can sell, you can take customers away from competitors. You can sell to a different segment. You can move up. You can sell faster, and you can make bigger deals. Right? There may be more, but those are roughly the ways you do it. 
And so if you think about this new feature or whatever the, the part of the roadmap is and how it's going to address each of those things, I think that's a, a way to start. That's a framework to start from, right? So this feature that I've been talking about, we think that will enable us to sell more to a segment that we currently can't sell well to. We think we it will enable us to sell more to a segment that we currently sell to, but they're somewhat dissatisfied. We think it may um, help us sell faster to that segment because we don't have to go through as much song and dance about how we kind of convince them that we can do this thing that they want, even though we don't do it quite as well as we could and so on and so forth. Right. So, and if you add all those things up, cause we have some metrics about, you know, how fast we sell and things like that. If you add all those things up, you can come up with a number that says, Oh, we're going to sell, you know, 10 more of these big deals. And we're going to send, we're going to sell uh, of the 20 deals we already get. We're going to sell them two months faster and things like that. And I think you can, bring all of those things together to create a number. Um, it does have to be validated, of course, by the um, research that you've done that says that there really is a demand out there for the cap for the capability. But if you combine those things, I think you that's a decent framework. That's what I think is a decent framework. Um, I don't know what your thinking is on that. No, it, it sounds like a good start. Uh, to me, this ends up being almost a feature-by-feature -feature question uh, of, of preparing almost a pitch deck for a new startup, right? If you're pitching an investor, you typically explain, here's my target addressable market. These are all the people in that market. And then you know you find some way to validate how much that's worth. Either you say, this is the number of people who had this problem and are willing to pay times the amount I'm going to charge, or it's you know the amount that they're currently paying for this thing that we can displace. So let's say we get 20% of that. You know, There's plenty of ways to come up with a number. For me, with an existing product that you're considering a new feature for, the mm -hmm. question should be, in my opinion, sort of a three-pronged, I think it's three, a three-pronged perspective. One is, do we have current customers that are growing or are potentially being frustrated because of some change external to us that would make them leave if we didn't do this? Right. So preventing a churn, right? If people are unhappy that, you know, some third party that you integrate with has changed the way they do it and it doesn't play well with your system, is everyone going to leave you, right? And what, what are the values of those customers? Do you care, for example? Mm -hmm. uh, the other side is, can you get visibility effectively in a new area, like you said, a new market? But I think the key thing to remember is, is that a market that you will be selling for the same price? Do you think that you'll be able to get the same win rate? And frankly, how many people are in there? We were doing this exercise to consider if we were going to go even further up market for e-commerce sellers. And although the, the, the general premise of going into a really a larger enterprise software space is typically, oh, you're going to make a ton more money. We'd have to go way up in our dollar value in order to really effectively make it worth it to spend all the time to attack a much bigger market. Uh, sorry, a much larger customer size because mm -hmm. the pure number they're smaller there are fewer fish in that ocean to go hunt and so to make it worth your time you've got to make that price or that economic value way higher so if you're saying here's a feature that helps me go upstream are there really that many fish upstream and if they are is it going to be worth it to sell to them at your current you know market penetration or your current win rate 
at the price that you're selling or do you have to increase it? And then you look at it from your current market and you say, is this something that the competitors have that we're losing deal because of? So sort of a an increase in sales by decrease in loss, right? Higher conversion rate for the customers you're currently getting attention from. Right. Uh, and ideally you'll have a sales team that can give you the feedback for that, or you'll have some sort of competitor tracker to say, you know, these are the the number of deals that we've lost. We can estimate it's whatever percent, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the last is, is this something that somebody else in the market is also doing, but maybe as a standalone, or is there another way to estimate the increase in value, right? If I'm if I'm replacing, I don't know, a janitor with a Roomba, is it really valuable to try to add on like a window washing machine? Mm-hmm. It's a really bad example. I, I like the example. It's a, it's out of the box thinking. But yeah, I mean, imagine that you have sort of a maid cleaning service, and you say, well, you know, for the amount that I pay a maid, I could probably just give every one of these customers a Roomba and cut off, you know, half their cleanings because all they really care about is their hardwood floor. Mm-hmm. And then that makes sense maybe the other side of that would be well they all want everything dusted they want all this other kind of stuff and then you consider you know, is there a way to achieve that if it is is it worth the money but right. with software i think it's a little bit more malleable because everything's sort of under the surface yeah I, I i think those are really good metrics to think about for sure um another another one that sort of contributes to the as you're trying to go up market is thinking about the cost of change and you know if the, if the up one of the the part of the nature of the companies that are up market, if you're thinking about them as customers, they tend to be more mature, which means they probably have a tool already or a capability in this area. And so, is it feasible to switch to your tool from the one that they're using? You right? Right. And can you? You know, it, it's a little different if you're selling to like a lot of our customers are not do not have a project management capability a centralized system of project management, you know, they're using spreadsheets. So it's very easy to convince them of the benefit of a tool because the benefits are huge. But if they already have a project management tool, we have to convince them of the benefit of changing. That's much harder. That's an interesting and, perspective because I would have figured for most project management tools, you're you're more likely, at least again, in my opinion, and I don't sell these, it would be easier to convince someone to move over to a better project management tool than trying to defeat the almighty spreadsheet. Mm, no, which is spreadsheets. Free- <laughs> spreadsheets cause so much pain that um, people are really willing to get off them. Awesome. Good to know. Yeah. And this is true for almost all usages of spreadsheets. Not all, <laughs> but many, but many usages of spreadsheets, particularly in companies that are, that are somewhat big and where the spreadsheet is used as the unit of collaboration. Because as soon as there's two copies of the same spreadsheet, there's chaos. Right. Which, you know, Google Sheets tried to help, but people still end up creating new spreadsheets and yeah. superseding and all so, that stuff. You know, part, and part of the problem, there's two reasons that spreadsheets are, are, I mean, there's another reason that spreadsheets are not good. You can solve the central, the single copy of the spreadsheet with Google, Google Sheets. But you can't solve the fact that spreadsheets are two-dimensional and don't allow you to have relationships effectively between them and so on and so forth. And then you start to 
you know, when you have a system like a project management system, you want to be able to say, this here's a project and it's got data. And it is also related to these tasks, which also have data. Right. That's really hard to do in a, in a spreadsheet. And that's a very simple model, of course. Right. But then the difficult thing for the project management tool is how do you display that in a way that can be conveyed in 2D? Right. And there's ways to do it. Yep. C- capturing the data in a way that's not just 2D is the first challenge and spreadsheets can't really do it. Not really here to sell project management tools, but those are facts. And the interesting thing is for product management tools, which is another thing that I'm interested in, um, no one has actually done a good job of solving the domain of product management, in my opinion. Well, I mean, we did have Hubert on here. I think Product Board is doing a pretty good job. I would have to say, Hubert has what I think is the most appealing uh, uh, version of a product management tool. Right. So, good point. Now, and that also brings up a good point, uh, which I'm actually using Product Board now, uh, to try and create some of those numbers that will support a particular value, right? If you can integrate it with your intercom and you can pull it in, pull in a bunch of other data, maybe off Salesforce or even off customer surveys, uh, you can actually start collecting a little bit of numbers, not a whole lot, but at least a little bit of data around what a particular feature might do. The problem is, in most cases, when you're trying to deal with a small set of big data, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm is you have to keep the rest of the context, which is hard. Because you could say that there are 23 people who have canceled because of, you know, whatever feature not being there. But you still have to understand what percentage of the overall canceled customers were those, what were their dollar values, how long were they with you. So there's some other pieces as well. But to take a first crack at it, I'd say something like Product Board does a decent job. Because you can look at it in multi-different, multi-dimensional. Well, and of course, the other thing is, you know, these 27 customers said that this was why they quit, but there might have been something else and they might have just chosen a a convenient scapegoat. Right. Which is a whole nother discussion about, you know, customer service and account management and sales actually digging into the real question. And I wish everybody was a BM. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually was interesting. We, we, um, this is something that's happened to me in the past where the other thing, the other way to estimate how much, how much revenue you're going to make from your new feature is you mock up the feature and you go show it to people and you say, hey, would you buy this? And if enough people say yes, then you decide to build it. Interesting. We actually did that with a beta test, a new product that we just launched. And all the beta testers, the ones that made it through and you know had, a, had the experience that we were expecting, we just kind of set out, hey, if you want this, this product, just let us know how much you want to pay for it and it'll be yours for the year for that amount. Sort of a tell me what you want to pay for it model, but actually really making it a thing, right? No matter what mm-hmm. we decided to charge, we would give it to them for the price that they offered. Right. Uh, and the interesting thing that we all sort of decided internally was when that happens, the fact that they even say they'll pay for it means there's value somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's probably a conversion factor between what they're willing to offer you for it and what the actual, like what they'd be willing to pay if it were on a shelf. Right. Right. So we actually figured out, well, our best guess is about 5x. So at minimum, they would be willing to pay five times more than what they offered if it were an open opportunity. So for us, that was a good way to sort of set the baseline price for a brand new product that we had no, we had no direct competitors and we had no real way to identify the right price for it. 
Sure. The um, so I think that that works if you're uh, if it works if you have a product already that you can give people to do to do it. The um, you know the end result of my experience was many people said that they would buy it, and then in the end, no one bought it. Literally, uh, no no sales. Yeah, we've done that a couple times. I think that's one of the hardest parts of this process too. Is you can explain anything you want to an executive or to the rest of the team even, and it'll make a lot of sense, mm-hmm. you know. But at the end of the day, you can't guarantee that there are going to be sales unless you have pre-sales, right? That's about the only way that you can do it, and that's really hard to do if you're trying to coordinate a big public release and a lot of other stuff. So um, it's well, a hard again, question. This goes back to that whole question of finding and validating the problem. If you've done that, you know, not going to people and saying, hey, here's, look, here's this cool idea. Will you buy it? But saying, oh, what are you suffering from? How, how much does this make you suffer? Um, how, much, er, how many errors do you have? You know, all those problem, all those things that really elucidate whether there's really a problem. You know, what are you doing to address it now? And how painful is that for you? If you get the right kinds of answers, you can you can then make a much more firm assertion that yeah, people will buy this if we have it. So does that mean that we have a fourth variable to look at this by? Should we be doing, you know, market or customer research every time we're considering a feature? Of course. Does that play into the amount that you should be returning if you're going to be spending time, either PM time or marketing time or potentially even, you know, market consultants? Well, I think it's, I think particularly if you if you take it a little bit higher than features and, and take it to the theme level, for sure, every theme should be well supported by customer knowledge, by market knowledge. So I don't really think it's a third thing. It's a, it's a fundamental thing. And, you know, and realistically, you know, we do know a lot about our customers, even without going out and specifically doing stuff. But we're one of the things we're going to do is we're going to spend some more time actually going out to our market, not to people we've already talked to and not necessarily to the people that have told us they want something like this, but to the customers that are, you know, that are sort of our middle customers. And we're just going to go find out what kind of pains do they have around this? Would it make a difference to them to have a solution or do they not really care? And that will help us decide whether it's really worth investing in, you know, and, and at the but at the end of that, we should also have a, a sense of how much revenue it's worth because we'll know whether people are having this pain and need to solve it. Right. So maybe we wrap up and try to do a quick review of, of the main points here. There seems to be two basic questions, assuming that you're still talking about a feature or you know a subset of a product, whether it's a theme or if it's a, a quarter worth of product. The two questions become, what is the value of a particular feature, right? Why do we build this one thing, oftentimes when you're considering a trade-off? Or give me a projection of the future sales and tie it into your roadmap, which is, I think, a little bit broader, but can oftentimes come back to some sort of validation. Like, tell me why you said it would be this in this quarter because you built this feature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for a particular feature, I think we talked about looking at the number of customers that it would have saved that have left you, what their values were. Potentially looking at that as a ratio of the total number of customers that have left to sort of say ongoing, we can save 10, 15% of churn. Another option is to look at 
the market that it serves if it's not your core market? So does it get you visibility up the funnel, down the funnel, or in an adjacent industry? And then do sort of a total available or total accessible market analysis to say, you know, is this a big enough value at whatever price we're planning to charge? Then looking at maybe current deals that are not closing and any sort of ratio to know if it's it's one of those features that are sitting on the edge, right? Maybe a competitor has it and people have been asking about it or it naturally comes up in the flow of a conversation and feels like an empty spot during the sales process. And then I think last, there's there's also that option of just saying to the marketing team, do you think you can get eyeballs because of this? Right? Is this a thing that is easy to compete on for AdWords? Can we get into new marketplaces? Can we find new distribution channels if we do this one thing? And sort of give marketing the chance to speak up ahead of time. Because I feel... I feel bad in some cases, marketing tends to sort of get the result of what product and sales and executives all fight for. And they're just sort of there to explain to the world what it is, as opposed to turning around the other way and saying, hey, here's what we're hearing everybody wants, or here's the areas where nobody's marketing. We think we can get in there and make some noise. So it makes sense to collaborate both directions when you're trying to figure out the value of a particular product. All right, so I think that kind of brings us to the end of the topic, at least to the extent that we'll be able to fit it into one podcast. And the main takeaways are? When somebody asks you to put a value on either a feature or a roadmap, first and foremost, try to avoid the answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> because as we all know, it's difficult to validate, it's difficult to explain, and above all, PMs are not typically in the, pre in the, in the habit of selling what they don't truly know. That being said, if somebody pushes you for the answer, then try to validate a new market that you'll be entering, an ability to win sales in your current market based on win-loss references, etc. Or identify an amount of lost revenue, people who have actually walked out the door that you'd be saving. I'd also add into that uh, making the sales faster you know, reducing the time to the, the time to close. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of all the responsibility, none of the authority. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast feed at all the com slash iTunes. If you like the podcast, please rate us on iTunes. That's a very big help. And we want to send thanks as always to a friend of the show and awesome musician, neat beats for our intro and outro music. You can learn more at the Bandcamp site, neatbeats.bandcamp.com, and hear the music on Spotify. Just search for Neat Beats, just like it sounds. Until next time, this is Nels Davis for Rob McGroarty. Fire. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition.